All right, John chapter 12, the first eight verses of that chapter. Then, six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus, who, was, who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead. There they made him a supper, and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. Then Mary took a pound, a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the money box, and he used to take what was put in it. But Jesus said, let her alone. She has kept this for the day of my burial. For the poor you have with you always, but me you do not have always. Let's pray for a quick moment. Father, as we hear from your word, we pray that you would open our eyes, that you would open our ears. We pray that you would bless the reading of your word to the totality of our lives. Help us to be both hearers and doers. We pray that you would guide us in these moments. We pray that you would help us to follow and to ultimately give ourselves to you. We pray all these things in the name of your son Jesus. Amen. The story of church history is riddled with lives given in response to Jesus. Whether you look back at the first century of the church and read of the great saints back then, whether you read of the disciples and how they lived their lives even unto death, fully and utterly surrendered to Christ, or whether you skip over to the 18th century and read the stories of John and Charles Wesley and their friends, we find lives woven into the tapestry of church history Lives that were given completely and utterly to Christ. They were given in response to Him. And it's interesting that as we look at those lives, when we read the stories of the martyrs, when we read the stories of those who spilled their blood very literally for Christ, those who went to the gallows for Christ, those who have suffered for Christ, it's, it's, it's so easy for us to look at their lives and to think, man, was that the wisest investment? What, what, could have, what could have happened if they had lived on? There are a couple of, uh, there are a couple of people uh, who, whom I revere in church history. And when I look at their lives, I think, first glance, what could have been? One of those happens to be, uh, today happens to be the, the, uh, the day we celebrate his life, St. Patrick. He did not die a martyr, but Patrick was, as as a young child, he was taken from his uh, fairly wealthy home by pirates 
in Britain and taken to Ireland and sold into slavery. And he grew up living in slavery. He grew up out in the fields caring for sheep and the wild animals, uh, fighting them off, protecting the flocks. And Patrick was given a vision, a dream. And in that dream, God, God led him to the seashore. And when he woke up, he went to that seashore and he found a boat and he climbed up on the boat and he escaped from his captors. And he, he went back home and he continued growing up. Eventually, God called him to the priesthood. He goes to seminary, at, probably in Gaul, modern day France. Um, and while there, he has another dream. And in this dream, it's almost, uh, as it were, a Macedonian call to Patrick. And he saw his captors. He saw those whom he served. And they were uh, standing on the shores of Ireland. And they were calling him back home. Come, come, minister to us. And he understood that to be God's call upon his life. To return to those uh, who had been his owners. And to live among them. To rescue them from paganism to share the gospel with them he finishes seminary he does eventually return to ireland and um you know the rest of the story he drove out the snakes he um <laughs> uh, there are a lot of legends about uh, about patrick that uh, that just are not uh, historically accurate uh, necessarily but but what what the reason we celebrate patrick's life some 1,600 years later, is because through his life and through his ministry and the communities of, of Christ that he set up there in Ireland, they were living in a land that was completely and utterly pagan. We're talking <laughs> worshiping rocks and trees. And within, within his life, and then just a generation after, because of the communities that he set up, you have all of Ireland Practically being won over to Christ. And not just converted, but, but trained. These people, these people uh, knew who God was. They, they had gotten in touch with who He was. They were learning the scriptures. They were spending time in prayer. Patrick's influence was uh, immeasurable for the people of Ireland. And we see the end game of what happened that this world there, the Celtic world, was evangelized. And we think, man, that was an incredible investment. But when you back up a few years, back up a few decades, and you think this is a young man in seminary who's, who's going to leave the civilized world, go back to the barbarians, the uncivilized, the people who, who bought him and who worked him out in the fields, he's going to go back to them. What are you thinking, Patrick? I think Patrick might would say to us, if we were to try to stop him, what Jesus said to Simon Peter, get behind me, Satan. You're not thinking like God thinks. Skip forward a dozen centuries plus another couple and you get to the life of a man named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And um, if you've... Uh, if you know very much about me, you, you uh, probably know that he's one of my heroes, living a, a Lutheran pastor living in Nazi Germany, and he sees the world around him falling apart, and yet everybody's saying, it's okay, it's, it's all right, we can, we can manage. And um, 
to make a very lengthy and long story um, short, he ends up approaching the gallows the day that Hitler is appointed for his death. And he does so joyously. He does so with greater peace than he ever had in the free world. And he was in his 40s. I think he was 44 years old. One of the sharpest theological minds in all of Europe in the 40s. And I can't help it. I, in fact, uh, David, when I read uh, Eric Metaxas's book, Six Hundred and Some Pages, I find myself getting to that last chapter, and I'm thinking it has to end differently. I know how this ends. I know what happens. I know what these next few pages are going to unfold for me. But it has to end differently because there's no way this sharp of a man, this sharp of a mind, this passionate of a believer, there's no way he his life ends this early. Bonhoeffer would, would um, chastise us for questioning his, his approach uh, to the gallows. We find in uh, this passage of Scripture a, um, an analogy, something that's analogous to those type of lives that, that we look at and think, ah. We find Mary, who approaches the table where Jesus is. And she breaks open this jar of very costly perfume, the passage tells us. And she begins washing Jesus' feet with it. And, and the, the house is filled with the fragrance. Think of the value in what she does. The text tells us that this is a pound of perfume and it's oil of spikenard. Very, very costly in the ancient world. Judas, John tells us, is the one that speaks up. The other gospel writers tell us that all of the disciples are really thinking it. But Judas speaks up and he says, what in the world is she doing? We could have sold this. Notice he's guesstimating here. He, that was a, a term that I think my chemistry teacher uh, taught me in, um, in high school. I don't know why a, chemi a chemist would be talking about guesstimating. You know, chemistry, you've got to be pretty specific, I think, if my memory serves me well. Um, but Judas hollers out, we could have sold this for 300 denarii. Perhaps even more. Get it on Craigslist, eBay, get people competing over it. But a pound of perfume, already expensive perfume, that's about a year's wages for a worker in ancient Israel. This is a year's salary that she's pouring out on the floor as she washes Jesus' feet with it and uses her hair. And the disciples are indignant. What in the world? Think of the good we could have done. Think of what we could have done for the poor, Judah says. John tells, gives us the backdrop. Judas isn't really concerned about the poor. That's not the issue at all. He kept the money. And Judas knew, man, we could have sold this and we could have put it in there for the poor. We could have, you know, put a little bit to the poor. Kind of like uh, some of, the, uh, um, some of the, the, the charities that when disaster strikes, we give to. And all right, I'm going to give $100 to that charity. And we find out 20 bucks 
made it where it was supposed to go. The rest all went to salaries and pensions and, you know, all the, all the stuff going on. Judas is thinking, man, we could, we could have had some salaries and pensions and we could have done all that sort of stuff. Maybe give a little bit to the poor. But her gift to Jesus is so extravagant. It seems to the disciples to be such a waste. It could have been used for so much more. What are they thinking? What is she thinking? Pouring this out. Jesus scolds them. Leave her alone. He makes a statement. It's one of the controversial statements that Jesus makes. But uh, Jesus here is being a realist. And he says, the poor you will always have among you. Me, you will not always have among you. Jesus is um, challenging their challenge. He is challenging their uh, critique of her extravagant gift. And I think there's, there, there are um, some things that can help us understand why he poses this challenge, why this gift in the eyes of Jesus is not a waste, why this extravagant response of hers is not in vain. And I want to look at three, uh, three of those uh, elements related to the story here with you. The first being the reason for Mary's gift. It seems that as, as, uh, as they have gathered in her home, as they have gathered in the home of her, her sister Martha, and her, their brother Lazarus, who has recently risen from the dead, they have, they have gathered in that home for a celebratory meal. And as she comes into the room and there is her Lord, there is the one who has raised her brother from the dead, there is her close friend, she, she gets this costly gift and she approaches Jesus responding to his presence, responding to who he is and what he has done. It's, um, it's interesting that if you look back at chapter 11, um, where Lazarus dies and four days later Jesus goes to raise him from the dead. It's amazing. We, we often quote that, that shortest verse in all the scriptures in John chapter 11, verse 35, Jesus wept. But notice the, the, uh, notice the clause that's right before it. Come and see. I've never noticed that there before. I'll be honest with you. Come and see. It's the same exact one that, uh, that occurs in, uh, in chapter 1 that, uh, that I was harping on a few weeks ago. Come and see. Again, John, th- I think purposely throwing that coded phrase in there, inviting us. Come on. Keep moving. Keep moving. Jesus says, where have they laid him? And the people say to him, Lord, come and see. And he weeps. That's the chapter prior. Chapter 12, we find that it's right before the Passover, just six days before it. And they're throwing a, uh, throwing a, a, a dinner party for Jesus. They have him over. They're celebrating. And Mary comes in. The reason she lays this gift down is because of who he is and what he has done in her life. 
He has raised Lazarus from the dead. And in doing so, he's claimed, I am the resurrection and the life. She's seen this. She recognizing her Lord. She recognizing that he is her resurrection. He is her life. She comes and she breaks open this costly jar of perfume. And in an extravagant response to his presence, pours out her gift to him. She does so motivated by joyful celebration that her Lord is there. Um, in my study of John's account of the gospel, it, uh, it occurred to me that um, John seems to place a couple of, a couple of bookends in relationship to the ministry of Jesus. And both of those are revolving around a celebratory meal. The first comes in John chapter 2, Jesus' first sign, his first miracle. The first thing that he does that John wants to share with us, pointing to who he is. And that's at the wedding at Cana of Galilee. And as Jesus gathers with this family, gathers with this group of friends to celebrate this new marriage, you find the first bookend. And what does Jesus do? He turns the water into wine. He tells them to go and grab the jars for purification, to fill them up with water. And as they're taking the, the water to the, uh, to the master of the feast, they find it's suddenly become wine. The second bookend comes here in this celebratory meal. The first is beginning Jesus' earthly ministry. The second is beginning his, his passion. The very next day is the triumphal entry. This is, this, uh, in, in order of, of Lent, this takes place this coming Saturday, the day before Palm Sunday. And begin, in the beginning of this week of passion, to start that special and redeeming aspect of Jesus' ministry, you have this other celebratory meal. And again, rather than jars of purification filled with water, you have a single jar in celebration filled with this pound of perfume. And as the water was transformed into wine, this, this gift that's poured out to the Lord Jesus is transformed into something beautiful and meaningful. In the first celebration, you have the celebration of a new life together in marriage. And then this second celebration, you have the celebration of a risen life. A life that has been redeemed. A life that has been rescued. A life that has been pulled out of the grips of death. In Lazarus, in preparation for all those lives to be redeemed in the sacrifice of Jesus. You have jars that are filled 
in one and transformed. And then in the other, you have a jar that is broken and poured out. In the first meal, you have the very best of wine as a result of Jesus' presence and his ministry. And in the second, you have the very costliest of perfumes given to him in preparation for his sacrifice. And Jesus points out in, as he corrects those who are scoffing at this gift, scoffing at this extravagant response to his presence, Jesus points to the significance of what she has done. He says that she has indeed kept this, kept this gift, kept this response for the day of my burial. He's been preparing them and warning them. They're headed to Jerusalem. In fact, in chapter 11, after the raising of Lazarus from the dead, uh, Jesus says, we've got to head on back to, uh, or, or before um, Lazarus is raised from the dead, in the context of that story, Jesus says, we've got we to head to Bethany. We've got to go, go see our friend Lazarus. And the disciples say, wait a minute, wait a minute, Jesus. <laughs> Bethany's right outside Jerusalem. You remember what happened in Jerusalem last time. Last time we were in Jerusalem, they were going to stone you, and you had to escape. And Jesus says, we're heading back. The disciples, uh, he tells Thomas, the twin, steps up and says, let's go with him and die. So they, they know what's coming. Jesus has been preparing them for it. Jesus has been warning them that he, that he is going to be given over, that he will suffer, that he will die, but yet he will rise again. And those disciples, specifically here, Judas Iscariot, who scoff at Mary's gift and her gracious and extravagant response, Jesus corrects them by saying, she's kept this for my burial. This is, there's, she is preparing me for what lies ahead. There's been tension surrounding. In fact, um, uh, the scriptures tell us here that, that, that uh, the Jewish leaders, as, they have, uh, as they've been targeting Jesus for some time now, they also begin to target Lazarus because they realize this guy's been raised from the dead. And every, everybody in town knew about it. Everybody in town saw he was dead. They knew he was in the tomb for four days. They were there weeping with Mary and Martha. They saw him come out as the stone had been pushed to the side. They saw him come out in his grave clothes. And so they think, we've got to eliminate Jesus, the man, and we've got to eliminate Lazarus, the proof that he is the man. She keeps this gift. She makes this response for the burial of Jesus in preparation for the, um, the events that will begin unfolding the very next day as he enters Jerusalem, presenting himself on that day of selecting a lamb of sacrifice, presenting himself as the lamb of God to be given for the nation, to be given for the world. She's preparing him for suffering. And uh, going back to my... Uh, one of my heroes, Bonhoeffer. The cross is not just about suffering. It is about both suffering and rejection. We can 
bear some suffering when other people look to us and think highly of us. You know, wow, he's suffering for doing the right thing. Jesus on the cross was suffering and he was rejected by his people. They wanted nothing to do with him. And she's preparing him for it. Because it is in his suffering and his rejection that we find life. It is in his suffering and his rejection that we are offered victory, that we are offered transformation, that we are offered hope. What are you guys doing here? It's a Sunday morning. It's a beautiful day. Bill and David and I were talking out in the parking lot. You know, it's St. Patrick's Day. It's lovely outside. We st- stood out there for a little bit talking. Um, the world might would look at you and say, what in the world are you guys doing there? It's a nice day. It's a day to get out on the boat. Get out on the water. You could be doing so much good out there in the world. You could be having so much fun out there in the world. There's um, there's an element of uh, of worship as we gather as the people of God in His name and we gather to celebrate His presence. There's an element of that that that, that would seem to some to be a, a waste of time, a waste of effort. You, you know, you could be doing so much good to transform the world. We're meeting here with the one who can transform the world. Um, in the end there is no gift given to Jesus that is to be found as a waste he takes delight in our gifts to him he takes delight in our responses to him And as Mary offers her extravagant response to Jesus, he takes joy in it. And we're invited to give him our responses as well. If you would look just real quickly at your communication card, please make sure you fill out the front of it. Um, And after the service, please drop it off in the offering plate. On the back, you have um, some responses I'm wondering if you would uh, consider making with me. I don't know about you, but I know I can certainly uh, celebrate Jesus a little bit a little bit better. Maybe a little bit more intentionally, a little bit more with focus, a little bit more um, with joy, excitement. Um, it's, it's, it's so easy to gather for worship and, um, and not be ready for worship. And it's so easy also to find other things to do than gather for worship. But I'm wondering if you would say, you know what, I'm going to celebrate Jesus more joyfully, more, with, more, um, with more joy, with more excitement, not just excitement, but not just a, a feeling, but I'm going to take more seriously 
my worship of Jesus and my celebration of Him. And I'm going to celebrate Him uh, day in and day out in my life as I see His, uh, his work and as I see His, I recognize His presence. In response to Him, and because you're celebrating Him, I'm wondering if you would say also that um, I'm going to give myself completely to Him. The costliest gift we can give Him is not, uh, it's not a house, a car, it's not a, a job, it's not a, a, you know, a, a wad of money. The costliest gift we can give Him is our very selves and the totality of ourselves. I wonder if you would say, I'm going to give that costly gift. I'm going to give Him all of who I am. Every inch of the acreage of my life I'm going to give to Him. And then lastly, I wonder if you would say, He's done so much for me. And that's, that's good. I'm grateful. But He's wanted to use me in the life of someone else. And I'm going to sacrifice for the sake of someone else, whether that would be um, sacrificing a little bit of time in our schedules, whether that be sacrificing a little bit of um, a little bit of our sanity and listening to something that we may not uh, care all that much about, but learning to care a little bit more because this is a person made in the image of God. Um, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to think of others. I'm going to think of the person before me. I'm going to think of the person next to me. I'm going to think of them. And I'm going to try to be what I can in their lives and do what I can in helping them and know, helping them to know my Lord. I wonder if those responses would be um, would be fitting to you in your life. I know that they are certainly um, responses that uh, that I myself am in need of making. As we draw to the um, toward the close of of our time together. Before we sing our last uh, our last song, I'd like to read um, something to you. It's called the uh, the St. Patrick's Breastplate. It's a prayer. It's a prayer that um, um, that has a lot of beautiful imagery. But I, what I want you to think of is I want you to think of the uh, the all inclusive nature of how he's praying about the totality of his life being given to Christ and Christ being 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 found in every. Uh, in every aspect of his life, and I want and praying like this and thinking like this helps us to be more like this, and that's really uh, the need that we have as the people of God and as God has has, um, has called us to Himself and called us to bring others with us to Himself, um, and as we approach Him with our responses to His call. Um, Thinking and praying like this would do us a great service. He said, I bind unto myself today the strong name of the Trinity by invocation of the same, the three in one and one in three. 
I bind this day to me forever by power of faith, Christ's incarnation, his baptism in the Jordan River, his death on cross for my salvation, his bursting from the spiced tomb, his riding up the heavenly way, his coming at the day of doom, I bind unto myself today. I bind unto myself the power of the great love of the cherubim, the sweet well done in good judgment hour, the service of the seraphim, confessor's faith, apostle's word, the patriarch's prayers, the prophet's scrolls, all good deeds done unto the Lord and purity of virgin souls. I bind unto myself today the virtues of the starlit heaven, the glorious sun's life-giving ray, the whiteness of the moon at Eden, the flashing of the lightning free, the whirling winds, tempestuous shocks, the stable earth, the deep salt sea around the old eternal rocks. I bind unto myself today the power of God to hold and lead, his eye to watch, his might to stay, his ear to hearken to my need. The wisdom of my God to teach, his hand to guide, his shield to ward, the word of God to give me speech, his heavenly host to be my guard. Against the demon snares of sin, the vice that gives temptation force, the natural lust that war within, the hostile men that mar my course. Or few or many, far or nigh, in every place and in all hours, against their, their fierce hostility, I bind to me these holy powers. Against all Satan's spells and wiles, against false words of heresy, against the knowledge that defiles, against the heart's idolatry, against the wizard's evil craft, against the death wound and the burning, the shocking wave and the poison shaft, protect me, Christ, till thy returning. Christ be with me. Christ within me. Christ behind me. Christ before me. Christ beside me. Christ to win me. Christ to comfort and restore me. Christ beneath me. Christ above me. Christ in quiet. Christ in danger. Christ in hearts of all that love me. Christ in mouth of friend and stranger. I bind unto myself the name, the strong name of the Trinity, by invocation of the same, the three in one and one in three, of whom all nature hath creation, eternal Father, Spirit, Word. Praise to the Lord of my salvation. Salvation is of Christ the Lord. Amen.